can we give the Martins a hand? Yeah. Uh, I appreciate their story. If you're new to RCC, Stephen is one of our elders and just appreciate that our elder team and staff team uh, do lead in the way of uh, financial generosity. This is not something we ask you to do and we don't lead uh, as well. Hey, before I start my sermon, um, I want to bring up somebody that uh, has been a huge help in helping our church be financially generous. Um, so uh, I, I want you to uh, give a big hand for Lisa Baker when I invite her to come up. They did it. We did it. We kept it secret. Yeah, you guys come over here, Donna. Uh, Lisa uh, chairs our finance team, and she's the best. She's the best. She's helped me uh, grow in generosity. And uh, so uh, our finance team, your finance team that you lead, decided that we wanted to honor and bless you this series. So we brought you some flowers and a gift for you Listen, for you to have a personal day, all right? You're, you're, le- you're leaving your family, and you're going to do something that will fill you up. So you. we're excited to honor you. Yep, give a hand for Lisa. <laughs> I'm going to, yep, let me, let me pray for you real quick, because that's what you should do in church, and then uh, we'll get started. Uh, Jesus, thanks so much for, for Lisa and for her willingness to serve and lead us in financial generosity uh, she's just one of the many women that help lead our church forward, and we so thank you, so thankful for her and just her love and, and grace and wisdom in helping our church navigate, again, such a, such a touchy subject, and we, we, we would be in a far worse place if it was not for Lisa. We love her so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Shout out to Brad for helping us pull this off, too. Uh, I love um, I love memes on uh, social media because words are hard for me. Uh, I, I found this meme. This is Kermit the Frog, and uh, he's looking in the mirror saying, "I just finished a great workout." But here's the shadow side of Kermit. So his reward: Let's go eat a whole pizza because I earned it. How many of you have done a really hard workout or you achieved something and you completely obliterated your body by rewarding yourself with something? Yeah, yeah, a bunch of people. Yeah, four people. Everybody in the first service raised, raised their hand. Why am I showing you this? Well, it's a meme and it's Kermit the Frog. Don't you have a heart? Uh, today, we're going to talk about the shadow side of our generosity, the, the dark side. And the, and the truth is that we are light and darkness at the same time. We are both sinner and saint at the same time. We want to put our best foot forward and a big smile on our face and a song on our heart. But even in our giving, such a good thing comes with ulterior motives. Now, if you've been tracking with us, whether here or watching online, you know that we've been talking about a, a wealthy church in Corinth. And there's a need in Jerusalem. And so Paul writes to a bunch of the churches in the first century, hey, Here's the deal. There's a church in Jerusalem. There's a famine. Poverty has, has, has paralyzed this church. Would you guys do some sort of a generosity challenge? And it's Paul. He's a, he's a high D. He's a driver. So he's like, I don't care if it's 90 days or Sunday. I'm sending somebody your way. Please give them money to help out uh, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But their shadow side was, ap- was appearing. Uh, you ever said this? Oh, I forgot to pay that bill. The check's in the mail, right? Oh, I, I forgot to pay my student loan online. Yeah, Sally Mae, she's, she's not going to let you forget, right? As, as I have come to find out uh, more times than one or five. Uh, so you, you can't use that line, right? Well, 
the church in Corinth was wealthy. We might say upper middle to upper middle class. Uh, these families can go on vacation uh, every year. There's always food in the fridge. They never have to worry where their next meal is coming from. And yet, they talk a big game about generosity, but don't actually follow through. And so what Paul is pastorally going to do with us and the church in Corinth in the same letter is remind them, hey, there's another church that's in a different financial bracket uh, that has committed to giving and they actually gave. There are churches in a place called Macedonia that uh, are middle to poorer class. They don't know when their money is coming in and if they do take a vacation, they have to save a few years or use a credit card and they, 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 they don't, they're not as affluent as you. And so this is how Paul describes the church in Macedonia as an encouragement. It's a, it's a hard thing to say, but it's an encouragement. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, now uh, brothers and sisters talking to the church in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and in their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What? For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. How does somebody give beyond what's in their bank account? Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's, in this service to the Lord's people. Unlike you, Corinth, I got to send a messenger boy to collect money because you forgot. This church or the churches of Macedonia were eager to, like, before I could send them the first century email, uh, they had already sent in their, their generosity gift. And they did it out of their poverty, not out of their wealth. I remember the first time, 16 or 17, I mustered up the courage, which back then um, was terribly introverted and just anxious and scared to do anything. I mustered up the courage to go to Mexico with my youth pastor and my youth group, and uh, we had to write these letters for ask our friends and family for money, and I was like, oh, I got a few uncles that own businesses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this in. I'm probably going to make some money. This is great. I'm glad I signed up for this. And Brad just kind of rolled his eyes, and he's like, just because someone has a lot of money doesn't mean they're generous. And that guy was stinking right. He was right. The most generous people when I went to Mexico were my family members who made as much or less than what my parents made. And we, we, di we didn't grow up very, very wealthy. Why? Why is that? Here's why. Here's what, here's what generosity and faith is so weird. Because generosity is not about our means, it's about our mindset. You can have a lot of dollars in your bank account. You can have next to nothing in your bank account. But the difference between you stepping into generosity, your profiles, is not your amount, it's your mindset. It's, it's, this, it's this idea that, do I really believe that Jesus has a kingdom and my financial dollars can be used to move it forward to reach people who are burned out on religion, tired of poor decision-making, completely broken, and could find RCC to be a place where they can come and rest, ask their questions, and find community. This is why we talked about last week with J.K. Rowling in her book deal with Harry Potter. She got pulled off of the billionaire list because she kept giving too much of her wealth away. And you might think, well, if I was a billionaire, I'd give a lot of money. No, you wouldn't. And here's why. 
It's about the mindset and not the means. So if you practice generosity when you're making, you know, uh, eight, ten bucks at McDonald's or whatever they pay people now, I don't know, and you practice it now, right? When you're 15, 16, you start working at Market Basket. Oh, yeah, we're hitting home, baby, aren't we? <laughs> a, lot of our, a lot of our students, I see you working at Market Basket. I mean, texting and putting away bread. But uh, when you start working, that's when you can start the when you, we can start practice financial generosity. So whether you uh, work for Market Basket or in your 30s, 40s, or 50s, you own several Market Baskets, your, the propensity for you to give comes out of your mindset and not your means. So how, how did this church in Macedonia give? Well, it was possible because the grace that God had given the Macedonian churches. There is a, and I, I don't understand it, and I'm okay saying that, I don't have all the answers, but there's a grace applied to folks who step into financial generosity that is not applied or given to other people that do not. In other words, there are things that you're going to learn about yourself. There are things that you're going to learn about Jesus, about relationships, and other people that only come if you put in the practice of stepping into having the mindset to be generous. And, and, and look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. He says, since you excel in everything, so this church is crushing it, right? You excel in faith, so you believe in Jesus, you're strong in your faith, in speech. You actually, like, invite your friends to church and talk about your faith at work, at home, on the, on the, on the ball field. You're excelling in your knowledge, so you know the scriptures cognitively, so you're not, you know, like a ship tossed back and forth, whatever culture says you believe. And then he says, you're, you're excelling in complete earnestness and in love, that we've kindled in you. See to it, Corinth, that you also excel in the grace of giving. You know, so, so many times I, I've heard over the 15 years I've been in ministry, and even as a kid, right? Well, I, I don't give, but I serve a lot. I, I, I don't give, but I lead a life group. I don't give, but like, could you, I don't want to be in that room when you tell Paul that, <laughs> right? Because giving is part of a spiritual muscle that you have to work out like opening your life in a life group, which we'll talk about in 15 minutes or 10, like serving, like inviting your friends. It, it would sort of be the same, and I hope this doesn't sound weird, it'd be sort of the same thing as like, um, you know, I give, so that's why I don't join a life group. Like, Paul, like, what, are you, what are you talking about? Like, the spiritual life is a full body experience. It's heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. It's everything about your personhood. And so that's why Paul says, church, you've excelled in so many things. You're doing awesome. I want you to also excel in financial giving. You're already serving. You're already in life groups. You're already doing this and that. Great. But I want you to excel in giving in your financial generosity. When, when you came in today, you either sat on this or moved it. I, I want to encourage you to grab this guy or gal. This is our generosity profile, and we're going to talk about our shadow side, okay? Sort of like want, want, but hey, it, here's the deal. With every good intention comes ulterior motives, for sure. And so if you're like, what, what are you talking about? Uh, we, we learned our generosity profile from a website, MyGen for genetic, G-E-N, MyGenProfile.com. You're more than welcome to take it right now. It's eight questions, eight statements, and you'll learn your primary and secondary reason for giving, uh, or motivation for giving at least. And so today we're going to talk about the shadow side, the, 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 the stuff that you don't want to talk about, and also give you, 
we're not going to leave you hanging on a ledge. Also give you a challenge verse for you to read and memorize and pray through and journal about. And so the first, um, the first uh, profile we talked about was uh, these cause movers. They, 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 they see a cause, they get behind it. They, they love GoFundMe stuff on Facebook. They love social, um, social justice issues. Like that, 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 that's great. That's awesome. And, and they see a need and they, sit and they, they, they shift their dollars uh, towards that. But the shadow side behind a cause mover uh, is control. It's control. I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a cause mover. Uh, and, and, and if I'm being honest, this right here, in a moment, I'm going to drop this in this box at the end of my sermon. It's hard. It's hard because giving means I have to give up some sort of control. And for cause movers, we like to be in control of our finances. We like to be able to support the, um, the missions and the social justice themes that we care about without anybody telling us what to do. So, so what, what would be like a, what's a challenging verse or a challenge verse for cause movers? You can write this down. Old Testament, Malachi 3.10. And in Malachi 3.10, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. One of the few times God says, try me. Like, like not, not condescendingly, but, but test me, all right? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing which is different for different people, uh, that there will not be uh, uh, room enough to store it. So a, a challenge for a cause mover is, you, you, you love challenges, that's why you're a cause mover. Your challenge, ready, is to start giving a tithe, 10% of your income. And, and there's a reason why I didn't talk about the tithe this whole series, because I wanted to give a broader stroke. And the reason why, and, and there'll be different applications for different profile types. So if you're not in the cause move, you're like, oh man, glad I dodged that. But the, but the reason why a tithe is good for you is because you're like me, you're a control freak. And increasing your generosity over the next two or three years and it would, would be helpful to, to let go of control. And for you, you might be like, like, I'm married with three little kids. Like, what do you mean 10%? Fine, do three, two, one. I don't care. But start somewhere and begin what Paul talks about in Corinthians to grow or excel, excel in the grace of your generosity. Start letting go of control. It's time to stop going, oh, the pastor said God owns everything. Isn't that sweet? Whatever. No, now it's time for the rubber to meet the road to begin letting go of control. The second profile we talked about were budget keepers, and we got a lot of budget keepers in the room, okay? Yeah, some of them are proud of it. Budget keepers like to give because, not necessarily to make an impact, although that's part of it, but it's the wise thing to do. Uh, a, a gift that a budget keeper is to the church is that they probably practice uh, financial generosity in their local church, and so they, they feel comfortable. They don't feel like a hypocrite talking about it because they actually do it. But the shadow side for a budget keeper is that they are risk adverse. They like to play it safe. They like, like, they like pl the plan for the future, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's your challenge verse if you're a budget keeper, all right? I didn't write the Bible, all right? So take it up with, with the G-O-D, okay? Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Okay, great. 
with the first fruits of all of your crops. I know it's a farming phrase, but hang with me. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will be brimmed over the new wine. It's easy, and I'm not a budget keeper or budget whatever it is. I'm not a budget keeper, so the empathy's hard because I, I don't know how you struggle with this, but the challenge for a budget keeper is to give to Jesus first before you, and, and it even sounds weird me saying it, before you pay your mortgage or your rent, put gas in your car, food in your belly, and entertainment in front of your face. That's your challenge as a budget keeper. How much? How, I, I don't know. I, th- th- that's your conversation that you need to have with Jesus. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to guide you uh, to helping uh, the fact that you need to trust Jesus a little more with your finances than maybe what you did with last year. And that's tough for a budget keeper because we like to play it safe. We like to take care of our household first and then what we have left over, we'll give to Jesus. And for you, God's like, give to the kingdom first and trust me with the rest. And look, that, that is easy to say, easy to say. A lot of stuff that I say on stage is easy to say. It's hard to do, but nonetheless, it's a challenge. Thirdly, we talked about faith stretchers, and they give because it's an opportunity to grow their faith. It's a spiritual thing. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. But the shadow side of a faith stretcher is their busyness. They're going, 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 going. They, they cannot sit down to watch one Netflix show to save their life, right? I'm talking about like 30 minutes, not, not like something that's an hour long. They're constantly involved. And here's the hard thing about being a pastor they don't practice good boundaries. And so people that are faith stretchers are great people to have in your church because they'll give, they'll serve, they'll be at the church anytime the doors are open. And they're like, wow, and you might mistake them for like, man, they're a really healthy and whole mature Christian. The problem is that when Paul says God loves a cheerful giver, he also says don't give impulsively. And while money is sexy and seductive, so is religion. And it's very easy for a faith stretcher to be so emotionally moved by the Spirit. And that's fine. That, that, that's fine. But they get so caught up in the moment that you're just like, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this. Paul says, here's your challenge verse in 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. For a faith stretcher to grow, this is crazy, in their financial generosity, they need to practice no in their relationships more often. It is a gift to be able to tell somebody, no, I would rather not do that today. And then if that person is disappointed, that's okay. Welcome to adulting. It's going to happen. But faith stretchers have a tendency, and I'm spending a lot of time here because a lot of people struggle with, sell, um, with, with, with just constantly saying yes and feeling guilty. They have to say yes. You are more than welcome to say no and to not even explain yourself. No, I don't want to go see that movie tonight. Well, why not? I don't want to. But for a faith stretcher, that's really difficult. And for you to grow in your financial generosity, you need to practice saying no more often. What a gift that you can say no and Jesus is okay with that. And other people will be disappointed. You know what? That's not your problem. That's your friend's immature, underdeveloped spirit's problem, right? That's not your problem. 
The, the next uh, generosity profile are disciplined doers who give out of joyful obedience. This is something you should do, right? You should give, you should go to church, you should serve, you should know the Bible uh, inside and out in the Hebrew and the Greek and in the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, because you are a doer. Here's your shadow side. You are isolated. You're isolated. You do things. Your personality is probably a judger, which means you see things black and white. Religion is very heaven, hell, right, wrong, sinner, saint. You're either in this camp or you're in this camp. And you probably struggle with someone like me because I'm like, well, everyone's in both camps all the time (laughs) because that's what it means to be human. And so oftentimes people that uh, are disciplined doers get so caught up in going to church every Sunday, reading their Bible, giving, doing all the right, and those are good things. That, that, That makes you, helps the Spirit mature you, but you need to grow and excel in your giving. Now check this out. This is what Paul says, or, or um, what Jesus says in Matthew 6 in just a second. The way you grow in your giving is actually you need to get in a life group. Or another way to say this, you need to be known by other humans. Attachment, any, psychology, any psych- psychologist worth their weight will say attachment is one of the things that makes an adult healthy. There's vulnerability, there's trust, there's a willingness to open your life to another human. And that's what Jesus is saying, that if you are, uh, if, if you are a disciplined doer and you just do, 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 uh, chances are Jesus would not be surprised if you have a hard time attaching yourself to other people, right? And so for you, Jesus says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20, Matthew's the next group, God has trusted us with the message that people be brought back to him. So Jesus dies, rises again, and he trusts us, regular people. And he goes on to say, so we are Christ's official messengers or ambassadors, if you have a different translation. It is, it is if God were making his appeal through us. Here is what Christ wants us to beg you to do. Come back to God. Paul is saying the gospel is true. But the gospel is transmitted when one person opens their life to another human being that they know, love, and trust. That doesn't happen by just doing a bunch of tasks. That happens when you work out your relational, emotional IQ and begin to trust other people. Great, you you know the four Greek words for love. So do I. Have you opened yourself up to be loved by other people through vulnerability? That's what the writer of 2 Corinthians, Paul, is saying. For you to increase in your financial generosity, be known by other people in the church. Next are community growers. And these are people that give because everybody should do it. And your shadow side is frustration. (laughs) Frustration. Why doesn't everybody give? Why doesn't everybody serve? Why doesn't everybody come to church every time the doors are open? And it's easy to judge other people. Sure it is. Makes us feel good about ourselves. But what does Jesus say? Well, in Matthew 6, 24, this is your challenge verse. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, so here's part of what it means, I think. 
is that if you are a community grower, you think it's the whole church's responsibility to give. Obviously, yes, you are correct. You're not wrong in that. However, if you have a propensity to be frustrated when other people don't meet your standards, and, and maybe you learned that as a little boy and as a little girl. Maybe you grew up in a violent home and mom and dad were disappointed with you often because you brought home an A minus and not an A plus. I mean, this stuff can go way back. But Jesus is saying, you have an opportunity uh, to be someone that can judge other people for not being where you're at, or you have an opportunity to serve me faithfully through your stewardship in the local church, and though other people might not be where you're at, you could like actually pray for them and invest in them and encourage them and, and show them how you got to where you're at. Jesus says, Here, here's the deal. Talking about um, being judgmental, Jesus makes a very black and white statement right here. You're either going to drown in your own frustration and arrogance, or you're going to drown in the community of love and grace that you show other people. Really, it's, it's up to you. And Jesus himself can't even make you do it. You, you have to pick for yourself. Lastly, we talked about legacy builders. Legacy builders are that. They give because they want to leave a legacy. I remember at a young age, my, I had the privilege of growing up in a really healthy church, and the, uh, the staff would bring in financial planners and would talk about what does it look like to um, talk about uh, uh, your assets after you're gone that could even uh, tell the story of your generosity even in your death as you wait for your loved ones in heaven. I, I remember just being 12, 13 years old and being intrigued by like, who would give to the church after they're dead? That's ridiculous. So immature. I mean, at 12, how mature can you be? But that's part of a legacy giver. They want to leave a legacy even beyond the grave. So what, what could possibly be the shadow side of a legacy builder? Worry. I, is the future gonna pan out? Uh, will all my investments be there for my family? my friends, my loved ones, my church? Uh, is this really going to happen? I'm doing a lot of good things. I'm, I'm saving. I'm crushing my debt. I'm building up my 401k. Uh, I have multiple investments. I'm div diversifying my portfolio. I'm doing all those things, and yet I still worry about the future. Sure you do. You're human. You're human. And your challenge verse is Matthew 6, 33. Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom. Whoa, that's annoying. Seek first his kingdom, not our own interests, not our um, country's interests, not our family's interests, not our neighbor's interests, but the interests of Jesus, which is to say his kingdom and what he's about. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things, all of these things you worry about in the future, will be given to you as well. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. This is tough stuff, friends. Again, it's easy to say this, but for many of us, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's an opportunity to, to grow a little more in our trust of Jesus. Not have more faith, because that's a very, um, that's a very uh, demoralizing statement. You need to have more faith. What do you mean? J Jesus is my righteousness. He died on a cross. Do I need to squeeze my forehead tighter and believe? A no, no, no. Jesus will give you all the faith that you need. 
this is just an opportunity for you to take one step closer in your faith and growing uh, in your generosity, or as Paul says, to excel in your generosity. Church, I've seen you grow in your faith, in your conversations, in your knowledge of the Bible, but also see to it that you excel in the gift of generosity. Uh, We said from week one that we believe that God created humanity and that God is a generous God and that God also created us in his image. And so, among other things, but when we express generosity, we show people and tell people, sometimes with their words, but more times than not with our actions, what God is like and if God is good or if God is generous or if God would even want a relationship with somebody uh, that they know. In a moment, we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and we're going to give you an opportunity to commit your 90-day generosity cards. We've got a, a little box here that you can place them in. Uh, we also have volunteers in the back. Uh, if, you have, uh, if you came to give a dollar gift or a check for your weekly offering, you can do so by going to the back. There's volunteers back there that will take it so you know that it's safe and secure. And you can do that before or after you drop your card in the box. L- let, me, let me pray for... Uh, our church, that we might step into this and that Jesus might do something even in our midst. And uh, if if you're paralyzed right now and not sure what to do and you need another week to think about it, it's fine. It's fine. This will be here. It's not going away, all right? The pastor will not take this away. Uh, So if you need another week, some time to think about it, do it. Do it. Uh, But but what what a great opportunity for us for the next 90 days to tell a better story. So let's pray, and we'll commit our cards together after I pray. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for this series. Uh, you, you, as I said before, you seem to think that uh, our finances are really, are really tied to our heart. That's not, really a short, that's not really a long run. It's not a long walk. It's pretty, pretty close. And there are honestly, Jesus, like there, there's just a lot of things screaming for our attention. And here's what's really hard, Jesus, if I'm being honest. There are a lot of good things, like paying bills on time, <laughs> that are screaming for our attention. And yet you call us to be about your kingdom. And you call us ultimately to trust you. To trust you. And so I pray for the folks and the families here that are, that are going to step into this generosity challenge for the first time. That they wouldn't let anything hold them back. And that for them, the way Paul promised the church in Corinth, that, that you would do a work in their life because of their willingness to step into generosity. I don't know what that is. I don't need to know, have to know, because everyone's different here. We're all in different parts of our journey. But we thank you that this is something you call out of us. It's something that you want for us. You're not interested in taking it from us. You want it for us. And so I thank you for my brothers and sisters here that are willing to to step into something where it requires uh, some trust and some hope, even in the midst of our fears and our shadow side of our giving. We commit this now to you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.